This is How to Be a Mortgage Broker, where we investigate the mortgage topics you need to accelerate your business and become an expert in this dynamic industry. So we're back. It feels like it's been so long and I wasn't even on the last podcast, so I'm, I'm happy that it's uh, back to us too. How have you been? I know. Welcome back. I've missed doing this and I feel a little rusty, but I'm glad that we're we're back in the saddle. <laughs> I know. I know. It, it, it's been a crazy couple of weeks, like constant rate, rate increases. Even multiple. Yesterday, we had multiple rate increases from the same lender in the same day. I know. Did you ever think this would happen, Jamie? Too much. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't realize. And I didn't realize how how hard it is just mentally to see that stuff coming into your inbox. And it's from all the different lenders. And we're working with, you know, <clears throat> many, many, many plus lenders. Mm-hmm. And let's say 20 or 25 that we're getting regular updates from on a daily basis. So it's uh, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really hits home the importance of pre-approvals and that we can actually hold a rate for four months because, man, I'm opening some of the ones I did a month and a half, two months yes. ago, and they are the sweetest rates that just cannot be found right now. And um, and also almost just a reminder to get both rates for your clients because you never know where you're going to end up. You know, like yeah. we love variables here, but there's some really nice looking fixed rates that I've held for clients too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean that that's kind of what I realized out of it. And then also, when you when you talk about the the flood into your inbox, there's so much speculation. Hey, like there was yes. that one what they were going to have five to six rate increases, and then mm-hmm. there's another bank saying three, and it's just like it's like you know no one has. It's like they're they're looking at a magic eight ball. No one really mm-hmm. has it. You know, it's we're just yeah. the world is so different than it's ever been. Planning and preparing is the best thing you can do, and then just reacting when it happens. Yeah, know? exactly. You can't worry or stress about what may or may not happen. And of course, the things that are in the headlines are the most exciting things that that they want to grab people's attention. And it's not going to grab somebody's attention if the headline is. Rates may or may not change this yeah, year. Yeah, no one really knows. Yeah, it, it's try not to get caught up on it, but I know, I know exactly what. Uh, so actually, that was feel. really yeah. The it, good advice that I read or heard this week was something about because I've had a lot of uh, first time home buyers and clients that are just you know thinking, and I'm sure you've had this too. You know, is now really the time to buy with everything happening in this and that? And the best piece of advice that I've heard so far is. If you're looking for a place to live and you can afford the monthly payment and you like the house, then it's still an okay time to buy. Mm, very good. Yes. Yes. That's very sound advice because overall the Canadian real estate market is a good investment. You know, it goes up and down, but it, it consistently does increase. So, mm-hmm. and and then you're not just paying someone else's rent or someone else's mortgage. You're investing yeah. in yourself. And trying not to look at your home as an investment, just as a place that if you can afford to 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 make it ends meet and live there and and work and you're not you know mortgage poor and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. then then yeah it can be. So I think getting too speculative, I think especially if you're a first time home buyer at this point in the market, it's not going to be helpful. And it obviously hasn't been helpful for those who decided in 2020 that they're just going to wait. No, I'm just going to wait for the market to crash. And then the next year comes, I'm going to wait for the market to crash. And all the while, it's just been going up and up and up. So um, 
Well, yeah, yeah. And add on the layer of uncertainty. So let's say you had a really nice rental and, you know, your landlord was wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's still uncertain. If they sell, you know, you don't even know how much rates have increased for rentals. It's it's astronomical in Nanaimo right now. People are getting a one bedroom basement suite for about anywhere from thirteen to $1,400 a month. And that's just a one bedroom basement suite. And so, you know, that uncertainty alone, I think is worth owning, not to mention the fact that half the mortgage payment you make is going into your pocket because it's a principal payment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I know we're, I we're both agree. big proponents of it, but. But I also understand too, there's some people who live in really big cities where it's just not, there are other ways that you can invest. If they're thinking about it in terms of, in, of an investment, there mm-hmm. are other ways that you can invest your money and get even a better rate of return than, than a house. You don't have to, it's not the only, don't get discouraged, I guess is what I'm saying, because there's other ways that you can retire and you know what I'm trying to say, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's definitely good to have that security, but even, you know, when you think about alternate sources, you don't even have to be limited. So let's say you live in Vancouver, you don't have to be limited to, oh, I have to buy in Vancouver because we have a lender that will allow you to still be a renter in your primary residence. So you have a good job in Vancouver, you have a good apartment, you rent, that's fine. You can buy, I mean, I'm from a little town in Alberta called Mournville, right? So you could buy in your little hometown, buy a nice rental with 20% down, and that mm-hmm. could be one of your retirement plans. You don't have to buy in the big city. That's um, really good can, advice. Yeah, you can hire a property management company too to take it over and, and look at it if you don't want to be the stress or have the stress of, of being a landlord. So yeah, lot, lots of different options. But I think that's what we wanted to do today. We wanted to um, create a podcast for our brokers, because I mean, essentially our podcast is about being a mortgage broker, but this podcast is for our brokers to share with their buyers because we wanted to ultimately just demystify the mortgage process because we, we hear all the jargon every day and we do this every day, but mm-hmm. it's really new to most people, especially first time home buyers or some people I worked with recently, they hadn't bought in 20 years and they were just blown away by the yeah. changes. So many people can benefit from this because it's changed so much. And, and this podcast we're making for you guys, so you can share it with your clients, with your friends, with your family, and then just walk them through the process. And then they won't be surprised when they see all the different stages that come their way. That's great. So yeah, that's, that's what this one's all about. So we can start right off with the steps of the purchasing experience. Yeah. And we've hit, we've hit number one home all the time, right? The pre-approval process. So that's the first thing you do. You don't look at houses. You don't find a realtor. (laughs) You go to your mortgage broker and you get your ducks in a row. It's the first step. You might fall in love with the place and then turns out you're, you're not really ready to go. Or maybe you've sold your house or something like that before you've gotten pre-approved. That's another thing that I'm seeing um, happen because people know I'm going to, you know, I'm going to walk away with $200,000 $200,000 from the sale of my house. Like I, I don't need to get pre, pre-approved. We've got yeah. a ton of cash. You Money know? talks, but, baby. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it does, but um, the, at the end of the day, the lenders are still going to need all the same documents as though you have, yeah. the, you know, your minimum down payment. So yeah, it's, terms- it's such a holistic look at a mortgage, right? Like it's not just, oh, I have 200000 down. How risky can I be? Well, yeah. you know, what about that collection that's been sitting there that you just mm-hmm. decided, hey, I'm not going to pay? Well, that yeah. shows, you know, the character of how you are when it comes to debt and they don't like that. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Or if you just started, yeah. you know, you're self-employed, that kind of thing. So the first thing mm-hmm. is you want to get your, and that's another thing, I guess, that's 
kind of good to think about. Where are you at in your life right now? Did you just start a new job? Did you just come back to work after an injury and you've been off for a long time? Um, Mm -hmm. Have you changed careers completely? Are you self-employed now? And before you were on salary, um, are you self-employed doing what you'd done before? Or is it something completely new? Are you commission-based or... um, or, or, or are you paying yourself because you're incorporated through the business and dividends and that kind of thing? So that's the first thing that you want to think about is kind of assess your own job and your own salary and how you're paid um, because mm-hmm. that's what the lender's going to want to see. They want to know they're going to want to see a letter of employment from your employer. They're going to want the most recent pay stub to make sure that it's matching up with what's on your letter. So if your letter says you make $50,000 a year, your last pay stub should indicate that you're on track, you're making that amount of money. Mm-hmm. And if there's a discrepancy, they'll ask and we'll ask, you know, maybe you took a vacation or you were sick or some sort of a leave. That's okay. We just, everything needs to be and thoroughly looked at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and sometimes we'll get, uh, we'll get this back too. Well, do you have to pull credit? Do you have to do a credit mm. check? And the answer is a resounding yes, of Always course yes. we do. Um, cause some people will just, they'll make a mistake without even realizing they've made a mistake. Right. So let's say someone was told they have too much debt to get a mortgage. So they paid off all their debt. They're super mm-hmm. happy. They're like, no, I have no debt. I have a great credit score. What yeah. if they went in and closed a bunch of trade lines, right? Mm-hmm. What if they closed all their credit cards and they have none open? They don't realize you need to open, paid as agreed for two years to even be considered. So all these things that people aren't realizing need to be looked at, need to be looked at. So that's why we're always the first stop. Yes, for sure, because we can evaluate the whole uh, bureau and and give you the best advice uh, moving forward. Yeah, and one of the one of the things I find that we advise a lot on is down payment, mm-hmm. because down payment I've I'll get really ambiguous answers like, oh well, I have between thirty thousand and nine hundred thousand down payment. <laughs> like, <laughs> believe it or not, I've had that, or or like, oh well, my mama helped me or this, and I mean, sorry guys, but we're in a numbers business and we need definites. Like if Dad mm-hmm. says he'll help you, what will Dad give you? You know, forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars gift, great, that's acceptable. So the down payment, I mean, we don't have to get into it too much, but it needs to be. Um, you know, not vague and it needs mm-hmm. to be traceable and gifted is fine. You know, if they give you a big chunk of money and it shows up in your savings account, we can use a gift letter. And it's as long as it's from an immediate family member, it's perfectly acceptable. Um, mm-hmm. It's not acceptable is borrowed down payments. So don't go out and get a loan or a line of credit without telling us because we, we can use that in some cases for down payment, but we need to also use the loan payment, uh, what it ends up being in debt servicing. So yes, you can yeah. borrow money for down payment sometimes, but it will reduce what you qualify for because we have to include a payment for that. So um, right. again, it's a little complex and your broker can can easily break it down for you and, and simplify it. So those conversations are huge. Income, credit, down payment. Um, and then we talk about closing costs too, to let you know the dollars and cents of actually closing this mortgage because there's all these extra fees like lawyer fees and appraisal fees and inspections run five, 600 bucks, you know? So mm-hmm. we're going to get to that as we go down the process. But the pre-approval process is really the number one. So, so after um, we've we've talked about the pre-approval, and then we've mentioned you know the credit income down payment. The next thing we always like to talk about is the deposit. When you make an offer on a home, 
you're expected to put a deposit down and that can mm-hmm. vary substantially, but it's essentially your skin in the game and it's your intent to close on this file. So mm-hmm. if Jamie wants to make a deposit of a hundred thousand dollars, she's very serious on this property where if I were to go in and say, oh, I'm going to put down $5,000, they would say, well, I think Jamie's got more skin in the game. If the offers were similar, they would accept hers. Right. So yep, there's point. a time limit on the deposit, which the realtor will navigate for you. So the realtor will say to you, it's never paid to the seller. It's always paid to the realtor's um, agency in trust, or if it's a private sale, then you pay it to the lawyer in trust. So the money is held in trust because you're going to be working on this contract. And if the contract doesn't go through and if the deal falls through, the deposit goes back to you and it's fine and it's no problem. You don't lose anything at all, just a little bit of time because that money is hung up in this property and then you Mm -hmm. move on to the next one, right? So so the deposit is huge and it's really important to talk to the broker because uh, we've had to scramble a couple of times because people don't realize it's important to tell your broker where it comes from. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And maybe the realtor too, because um, let's say you find your dream house, you make an offer and you don't realize that your realtor wrote in the offer that they would get them a deposit within 24 hours and your money is in an online banking account and it's going to take you three weeks to get your bank draft. Totally. Absolutely. Or mom and dad were going to give the deposit and it's tied up, you know, somewhere where they can't get into it for a couple yeah. of days. If it's a weekend, you know, what if they have to go into the branch to take out a big chunk of money and get a draft? So exactly. So always be really clear with communicating where the deposit's coming from and, and who's paying it. And just and, have a plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And sometimes it can come from a line of credit as long as it's getting paid back. So I've had people borrow from a line of credit, which again, just clear communication with your broker guys. And then they sold a the house. And then from the sale proceeds, they were cleaning out the line of credit and it was zero. Right. So it was good. It's it, it's all good. We can work with almost anything, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we can. But it's, it's really good because a lot of people don't think about that. And then the deposit itself, um, it will get applied to the down payment or the amount that you owe when you when you go to the lawyer's office and close, basically. Yeah, I get asked that a lot, a lot. Hey, you probably do mm-hmm. too. Yeah, yeah, I do. Because uh, sometimes they don't realize that uh, they think that, well, they might think that they're just going to get the money back at some point during the process, um, which you you don't until you complete on the sale. Because that's that was the purpose of the deposit, was, to, was your promise in good faith uh, to the seller that you were going to complete. So at that point, that's when the lawyer takes it and then they will ad- apply that to the amount that you owe. Um, exactly. I couldn't say it clearer. Yeah. yeah? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> <So for sure. laughs> okay, good. Yeah. So then, uh, so that's kind of the nuts and bolts of, of the money. And, and also, I guess it's worth noting that uh, the lenders are going to want to see a clear 90 day history of the funds that you're going to use for the down payment. Mm-hmm. Um, this is for the Canadian money laundering guidelines. This isn't even a lender specific, uh, rule. This is Canada wide. Yeah, we have to show that clear history. And and it's not that large chunks of money can't show up in your savings account. It's fine. We just need to source it. So if you've sold a quad for $5,000 or, you know, a travel trailer or like gifted money, it can show up there. It just has to be from legitimate sources that we need to show. Um so yeah, clearly. And it's important to note because sometimes we get these printouts of the 90-day bank statements and there's black Sharpie all over uh, it. Yeah, okay? that, that is worth noting for sure. <laughs> yes. Very worth noting. Yeah. So don't be scratching out stuff. I can assure you that Jamie and I push paper all day and we are not remembering where you spend your money. Like 
no. really. Um, <laughs> we're just looking for money. We're looking for big deposits yeah, and then boom, exactly. it's done and on to the next. No, well said. Yeah. 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 We're, sure. we're, we're trying to get the job done too. So we're, the last thing we're doing is taking our time floating around, checking out the each and every transaction. But that's, it's worth noting that if you are sensitive about your information, then right away, just open up a separate account, a savings account from your checking account. It's usually free with your institution and mm -hmm. keep your money in there. And as long as there's not a lot of money coming in and out from the other account, then they don't need to look at the checking account. account. So your broker will definitely, once you get the 90 day statement to them, they'll definitely advise you to keep your money where it is at this point, because any movement, um, thereafter need, again, we need to kind of follow the trail. So if you move all that money into a separate account, then we'll still need to look at that. Plus that account, the 90 day history exactly. of that account. Yeah. So it just, it, the list goes on and on. And the same thing, if you're getting, if some of your money is in an RSP or a TFSA and some's in the savings, that's fine. But we will need the 90 day statement from all of those three separate accounts. So yeah. the more places that the money is distributed, the more documentation and that's okay. It's just worth bringing that prepared. Up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's not helping us if you start pulling it all into one account and then yeah. giving us that one account. So just everything where it touches is good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's exactly. say that everything went well and you got pre-approved and you're at the amount you want and you decide to go shopping. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're big proponents. I think I can speak for Jamie of, of using a realtor. Um, mm -hmm. just, because as a buyer, it is free for you to use the services of a realtor. They know the legalities of offering and I've, I've seen the stress and um, the legal risks that actually come along with doing a private sale on your own or a private purchase on your own. And in my opinion, it's just not worth it unless you have a, a good lawyer doing it for you. You need some sort of professional and then you end up paying the lawyer more. So it costs you more to not use a realtor. So I, I really recommend and 100%. just like brokers. Yeah. Like realtors are not all created the same. Hey, Jane, like we've dealt with quite a few. <laughs> I, yeah. I was just about to say that like emphasis on a good realtor, you don't, yeah. don't it just because they're your best friends, sisters, uncles, cousin, who's trustworthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I honestly ask professionals because we do work with realtors all the time. So uh, we do tend to know the ones that are really out there going to bat for the clients every day versus the ones that are you know, perhaps someone who does it more as a hobby and will send us documents that are grainy and we can't even read. I've had that before mm -hmm. where like the realtor couldn't do the simple transferring yeah, like of documents that are clear. Yeah. Yeah. You've had that before. You couldn't get <laughs> yeah. an email from someone. So we <laughs> won't, weeks. we won't harp on the bad answers anyway, too much, but yeah, they're very, so very good, good ones out there. Yeah. Yes. The, yeah. And the good ones are worth it. Well, they're worth they're every amazing. penny. You don't pay anything for them anyways, but yeah, mm -hmm. just get a really good realtor, one that you can trust and that you feel is doing a good job for you. And you're, and it's the same with working with a broker. You, you don't, it's, that's a free service too. As long as, I mean, there are incidents where, where it, does cost money, but that mm -hmm. would be um, alternate lending and private lending in that in that type of arena. Then there are small fees, and and the broker will always be upfront with you uh, about what those fees are going to be right away. As soon as you go you go through the pre approval process, that'll be a conversation that you have immediately. Um, but in most cases, in ninety nine point nine percent of the time, there are no fees um, associated with using a broker. Yes, exactly. We're paid from the lenders more, more, more often than not. 
Yeah. And have fun. I mean, it's important to mention at this stage when you're shopping, have fun, leave the stress to us. This is what we do all day, every day. So don't stress about your mortgage. Just get us what Mm -hmm. we need. Don't stress about, you know, the home buying process, the inspection and that just realtor will handle everything. So just enjoy it because it's, it can be quite stressful. It can be. Yeah. And I always ask, and I know you do this too, Jen, ask clients if they are comfortable with me communicating with the realtor, because that's just an an additional way that we as professionals can take some of the uh, job out of it for you and just keep it really fun. Because if I can Mm -hmm. communicate with the realtor, um, certain things, nothing personal, of course. Then you're not asking the clients for docs, right? You're asking the realtor for the docs you need. It's so much easier. And yeah, yeah, then we can earn, earn our money. So that's all yes. good. Yeah, exactly. So the next the next one we want to talk about is offer and acceptance. So once you find the home you like, you decide on an offer, it's given to the seller and then they accept it in an ideal scenario. And so it so that's kind of when it, it's go time. And that's when docs get sent to the broker as soon as possible. So you have an accepted offer. And then mm-hmm. after that, you're you're getting all the documents and you're getting prepared to send everything. And you're gonna think that you have a lot of time but you don't have a lot of time. Like it's, it's no. quick. You're going to go, oh, you have two weeks, but it's it's fast. So you need to get the docs to broker right away because we will send it off for an, an approval. And what we'll get back is called a conditional approval. And so that conditional approval comes back in, you know, one to two days, usually 24, 48 hours. And mm-hmm. it'll say, okay, this lender has approved you. Um, the insurer has approved you if you need CMHC insurance, but this is what we need. And that's when we get the long list. Um, and so at that point in time is often when we have to update our documents. And I know that can be kind of annoying to you as buyers because you're like, well, I just sent you a letter of employment three months ago, but it took you three months to find this home. So now that's stale dated. So all docs need to be within 30 days. And so once we get that conditional approval, Jamie or me or your broker will go back to you and say, hey, good news. We have this approval. Here's all the details. It's conditional. Now we have to provide them this, 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 and this. And there's this long list that they give to us and we get going working on it. And that's what takes the majority of the time, right? Yeah. Well, yes. Hopefully we have most of the docs and, you know, we're getting close. Maybe we're communicating really great with the realtor and the realtor is letting us know, hey, we're going to probably get this one. We're putting an offer in tonight and then we get everything ready even before that happens so that by the time the commitment, the conditional commitment comes back from the lender, we hopefully in a dream world have everything ready to go and then we upload it. So then the part that really takes him most amount of time is waiting for the underwriters at the lenders to review the docs and sign off on the docs, I I would say is the longest part. And I think that's the part that um, people don't maybe realize as much because I I wouldn't either. I mean, if if you were working if, if we were working together, I was the client and I sent you all my documents on Monday, mm-hmm. I would be really curious why we wouldn't have an answer back by that Friday. But no, yeah. in most cases we, we do, but sometimes in certain lenders, they have different, um, they have different lengths of time that depending on the time of year and, and what's going on with that institution where it could be seven days uh, until mm-hmm. they will pick up a file um, and fully underwrite it. So that's why we get the condition of financing, usually 10 business days, so that we have enough time and hopefully we'll be done sooner than that. But that's all with us submitting everything in basically the same day or the day after um, you submitted your offer. 
Yeah, that- you get it approved. And I mean, in an ideal scenario, we're getting a conditional approval within one to two business days. Mm-hmm. And then we're getting our documents reviewed, you know, up to two, maybe three business days. And then yes. usually they're all signed off, but sometimes they'll come back and ask for more. And then we have to mm-hmm. get them more information and that's fine. But right now, I mean, it, it is crazy. Everyone knows that that's happening right now. And so the other day I had a seven day window for reviewing documents. So I actually had to pull the file and go to a different lender because that lender was just so busy. So mm-hmm. everyone is really busy guys. And the condition removal timeline has never been so short. Hey, like I got one for five days the other day and I'm just like, yeah. really? Or people are going in unconditional because they're stressed. So it's really an anomaly, but you may think that you have a lot of time when it's the five, six, seven, ten business days, but it really can get eaten up. And and let's say the condition comes back that we need an appraisal because sometimes you need an appraisal. Yes. And um no. There's not a lot of rhyme or reason to it. Sometimes I've had a, a appraisal conditioned on a file that was insured. So they had less than 20% down. And usually if it's insured, CMHC will, mm-hmm. you know, guarantee the value. But, you know, if there's a lot of sweeping market changes like there has been, sometimes the insurers have been known to condition appraisals just so they have accurate uh, economic data for that area, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. like the housing data is important to keep current. So they'll go, oh, we're going to need, you know, condition. And I don't know how they think. I mean, there's like all these algorithms, I'm sure, but that's another what, three, four business days for an appraisal, usually, mm-hmm. unless you're paying for a rush. Um, I've even had appraisals top out a thousand dollars for a rush. It was, yeah. it was crazy. Um, yeah, but the that's summer running I into two. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's another, you know, cost to to consider. um, But also just timeline wise, that's the big one for this. So that's why it's so important that we get the the commitment back right away. So we see what we're dealing with. And then again, we can we can communicate with a realtor and set up the appraisal for you and set up all that kind of stuff um, through the through the realtor and us so that you don't have to worry so much about it. It's just we just need to make sure that uh, we've got the time. To yeah. do it. And then another thing too, in that short amount of time, if you were uh, hoping to do a purchase plus improvements, let's say you bought a house and you really loved it, but you want to redo the floors and maybe the windows. Um, that's, that's possible gonna, to finance. Yes, it is. So yeah. if, you, if you love the house and you hate the kitchen, you can't stand the bathroom, can't stand the carpet, you can finance renos into it when you buy. Yes. So you we won't get into that because that's a, that's a podcast on its own, but it is possible. <laughs> yes, it is. But the thing with that is you also, most lenders will require that you have a contractor come out and quote you for the work uh, so that we can make sure that when we're, we submit to the lender how much we, we think we're going to need, uh, that it's accurate. And because they will come back, um, because when you close on the sale, they don't give you the money up front, you pay for it. But anyways, long story short, you do need to have uh uh, somebody to come out to look. And again, that's just another another timing and another uh, viewing of the house. So you want to make sure that's all written up in the offer and make sure that there's time. Exactly. Because let's say you go in as you know an unrepresented buyer and you didn't write in the contract that you need access for contractors and appraisers. You know, like the, the realtor will know to write that in there and saying that they're mm-hmm. going to need reasonable access for any potential trades that need to come into the house. So really yeah. important. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, so let's say everything goes as planned, all conditions met. Are we there? Are we good? Let's assume. Yeah. We've met all the conditions. Um, and so I'm good, right, Jamie, I can go buy like my new Tesla that I've had my (laughs) eye on and I can order a bunch of furniture, right. And get a new credit card. No. Yeah. That's the, that's the sneaky thing. So once, um, we, I actually have made a couple of really fun videos for my clients on this to keep it light because it's, you know, it's, 
it's not fun ever telling people what they can't do. I hate it when people yeah. tell me what to do. So I just <laughs> naturally assume that uh, nobody's going to like hearing that from me. But uh, yeah, so basically the, what what you looked like, the picture, the screenshot that you sent to your no, – I meant like screenshot in, in the sense of – Financial picture. You know what I mean? Financial picture. Don't send screenshots. But anyways, the financial <laughs> picture of, of, of what you presented to the to the lender at the time that you waived subjects, you waive your condition of financing, you have a firm deal, everything's good to go. Um, but if you change anything, material that's changes. material change. Yeah. So if you quit your job, if you change jobs, if you take out a new line of credit or co-sign for a loan for somebody or you max out your credit cards like anything that you do like that will and can jeopardize it will jeopardize your your application and it can mean that the lender has the right at that point to revoke their their commitment to you and it's all in the fine print of the commitment when you sign it mm -hmm. um so rest assured they are protected in the event that they want to walk away from it most of the time of course they don't want to and we don't want that to happen to you either that's why we just like to be really upfront and, and transparent even if it's you know the brick has the um don't no pay it for a year. It doesn't matter. It still shows up on your credit bureau and we still need to debt service it as though you're making a payment. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's another thing too, when when we are working it, the file on, on our end of things, what your monthly payment is, isn't necessarily what we have to use. We might have to, more than likely, we have to use a higher amount than that. So just keep that in mind. Like if you're thinking, oh, $20 a month is not gonna make a huge difference. You don't know for sure that that's the payment that we have to use. It de it depends on the type of liability. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So so once you remove those um, subjects and you have you know a firm and binding offer, there's going to be that waiting period between yes, I bought a house and mm -hmm. you didn't actually buy a house, and that's called the completion date. So the completion date is the day when money actually transfers hands and mm -hmm. the title changes, and you have that house. After the completion date, you guys do whatever you want. No problem. But until that completion date, you really have to maintain the same person as that applied. Basically, you just have to keep that yeah. that all the same. And I mean, while we're touching on dates, let's let's talk about the dates that you have. So you have, you know, the, the date that it's offered because you'll you're gonna offer and then there'll be you know, a timeline for acceptance. So there'll be a timeline for the seller to accept your offer. You're going to have the condition removal date, which is the date mm -hmm. where you have to meet every condition that you've put on that purchase. So that can be the condition of your um, financing, uh, insurance, mm -hmm. inspection, whatever. And then you're going to have, so let's say we remove that and then the completion date. And then there's also the possession date too, which is another funny one in there that tends to confuse people. So completion date is the day the money changes hands and you actually own the property, but possession doesn't have to be the same as completion. So possession can sometimes fall before or after I've seen and both. Yeah. And I, I, I think having it after a couple of days after is usually a pretty strategic move in the event that something happens and you don't complete on time or you're moving from one property to another and your closing date is on the same date. Like there's those kinds of things. So hopefully mm -hmm. your realtor can be really strategic and make that benefit you to the most possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And they're good at that because a lot of times you're, you know, trying to line up other things that are happening in your life, even a new baby, you know, you never know. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> true. And like, on. and we always say to, um, and most realtors know this, as well, but you don't want a, cl a completion date on a Friday 
because it's a no. it's lawyers and it's Friday. Mm-hmm. So Wednesday is a really good day because it's the middle of the week. And if things don't work out for some reason or another in terms of funds coming in and being transferred, then, you know, you're still Thursday. Um, and yeah, if- your stuff isn't sitting in a U-Haul over the exactly, weekend and you're not whole- guarding it with the shotgun because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, that's the only you place you could afford to buy is in the hood, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, the, we just try to always prepare, plan, plan for the best, but prepare for the worst, right? Exactly. Um, and then another so, thing too, that you, like when you talk about the fail safes, like planning mm-hmm. for the best and preparing for the worst is inspection. So the lenders won't actually look for a copy of your inspection unless there was a big change in the price. Let's say there was a huge point. price drop, mm-hmm. then the lender is going to go, okay, why? And then you mentioned a leaky roof or, you know, water ingress. And then they're like, okay, give me the inspection. But usually lenders don't ask to see the inspection at all. And so that's for your own peace of mind. So again, it's so worth paying for it. Nowadays, they have infrared cameras that can detect moisture in walls. Like it's, it's really unbelievable what they can do. Again, pay for a good one because I've heard, you know, horror mm-hmm. stories like you always have, but mm-hmm. um, get a good inspector. And I mean, I'm sure your realtor can refer you to one, but it's, it's well worth the money. A couple yeah, hundred dollars it takes. We had a bunch of don'ts to do, and I hope that really resonated with everybody. But like mm-hmm. one of the big do's is just have clear communication with your realtor and broker. I, I mean, my phone rings off the hook and texts all day long, but I'd rather that than have to scramble and fix a big mistake. So. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I love being part of the process too, and hearing how things are going and answering questions, and that's what we're here for. Um, so yeah, ask all the silly questions. Yeah, totally. And I think I think getting excited with people too is good. Like, you know, call me even if the inspection was really good, you know, like I'm, I'm flying high right now. I'm driving away and there's nothing wrong with the house. It's a go. Yeah. Like, let me know because it's always nice to know your intention, right? Because and vice versa, you know, it was a nightmare. We're walking away from this. Let me know as soon as you can. Yeah. Good or bad, keep us in the loops what we do. And so, so just let somebody else take a little bit of the pressure so that you can enjoy the process. Because honestly, it's one of the most memorable things that you'll do, especially your first time buying a house. You're going to look back and you're going to remember that. So just mm-hmm. try to like, try to embrace it and how exciting it is and think about all the positive parts of it and work and surround with yourself with people that, you know, can help you see that too, because it, it should be, it should be fun. Yeah. And, and give yourself a pat on the back for getting to that stage because it's not easy. It is work no. getting a mortgage. It's not it like it, everyone would get one if it was easy. It's a huge accomplishment for sure. And yeah. you're right. I think we should end on that note because it's just, it's a really positive one. And I, and it's, and it's so true. I, and mm-hmm. you see it sometimes you get, uh, it gives me goosebumps, you know, does. just thinking about it, how, yeah. yeah, people can come in so driven to make something happen and still not have an idea of how to make it happen. But once you do it together, and you break it down, it's it's one of the best things in the world. Thank you for listening to How to Be a Mortgage Broker podcast. If you have suggestions for upcoming episodes or would like to be featured on the show, please email jamie at mortgagesbyjamie.com. That's J-A-M-I-E at mortgagesbyjamie.com. You can find me, Jamie, on the daily brokering out of Kamloops, BC. Jen Marks is based out of Vancouver Island, where her career is thriving as she's raising her family, enjoying the beauty of the nature that surrounds her there. If you like the podcast, please click subscribe and rate us on Apple or iTunes. 